passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And Moxley... Oh my, are you implying, I think he can see, he's playing possum the entire time, he can see everybody, he has pulled one over on Chris Jericho once again, Moxley, boot, Moxley got it, Mox got it, covering, Live, everybody. Welcome to the AEW Revolution post show. I'm John Pollock here alongside Wei Ting. And for the next hour or so, we are going to be going through AEW Revolution that just finished up from the Wind Trust Arena in Chicago, Illinois. AEW's first pay per view of 2020. And the headline would be a new AEW champion, John Moxley, becoming the second champion in AEW history, pinning Chris Jericho in the main event. We're going to run through the whole card, and we'll be also opening up the phone lines to all of you to get your feedback as well. But this was um, an event that certainly you have to look at um, coming off, I think, the strongest consecutive weeks of television AEW has put together over the past month. They really honed in on... The buildup, in particular, of the top three matches, but I think every match on this show had a had a had a purpose, had a story attached to it, and there was it, it, this felt like an important show going into it, not just a run of the mill pay per view at all. Yeah, I would say unlike many of their previous shows, including Full Gear, um, I feel like a lot of those shows were really just sold on. I think the strength of the in ring quality it, itself. Here, I think you had both the promise of good in-ring quality as well as fantastic storytelling that led up to it. So I would say they're certainly hitting their groove and firing on, on all cylinders heading into this. Yeah, this is going to be certainly one where the, uh, the the number will tell a number of interesting, you know, where the state of AEW is in terms of turning their television viewers into uh, pay-per-view customers. Uh, another notable fact is that um, in the UK, uh, ITV box office, they're no longer, that doesn't exist anymore. Hmm. So now... Um, that will take a chunk out of this pay-per-view that they now have to go to Fight TV as well. So when the final pay-per-view number comes in, we do have to keep that in comparison. That, that will be different from previous pay-per-views. But um, there seemed to be a pretty healthy buzz for this show. I yeah. um, I felt that way. I, I would say, you know, you're looking at, you know, all things considered, if you're eliminating, like, the UK portion, I would say 
I would say like you'd still be to me like with all the television, all the buildup. Um, I'd be I'd be disappointed if this didn't hit a hundred, even with the um, the loss of the like UK buys. How did Full Gear do? Full Gear did right around that number. Okay, but but again, that was but, with being on pay per view in in the UK, mm. um, which this time it's it's sending people now to like Fight TV, which mm-hmm. I imagine you're not going to draw the same number. So you think it'll do better than Full Gear, or no? I think it should. Yeah. So do you think do you think it'll do better than Double or Nothing? Double or Nothing did. Um, I don't. I didn't sense the same level as Double or Nothing because that was really like the we had all in, but this was like the first official AEW show that I think just had a a larger amount of interest, which is notable. The fact that now they're on TV mm-hmm. um, as opposed to before, where it was just largely word of mouth and like the internet. That question really comes down to whether or not um, they are selling their pay per views based on hype or based on good television. And in 2020, how many wrestling fans are uh, like shy away from a $50 price tag? Sure. I mean, it's it's one thing that, you know, you have that consumer base in MMA and boxing that will pay eh, even even boxing. Now you're still getting people that are now seeing like DAZN. It's you spend $20 a month. You get the biggest fight. Um, you know, last last weekend that Deontay Wilder Tyson Fury fight was enormous and it's the early projections are 800 to 850 that are well below expectations and was the price tag um a part of that because that seemed like that was a gig- that translated beyond just boxing last week that was a major mm-hmm. fight and you're looking at the wrestling world where um you know you you're just looking at it and it's to me $50 for a show that's still a point where man that's that's a big ask of fans at the moment it is a lot, but I think what helps AEW is the fact that they do some pay-per-view so infrequently. Mm-hmm. You know, unlike uh, other companies, I mean, they're only asking you to invest that much into them a few times a year. I, I will say that I think, like, again, I thought there was, like, a healthy buzz for this show going in. But I think in comparison to past pay-per-views, I do feel StarCast was a big add-on that made that weekend feel like a big thing. Like with all the stuff that was going on, you'd be paying attention to all this different stuff that was leading up to the pay-per-view. And it just felt like a big, this was a big event. And I think StarCast, it complemented these pay-per-view weekends well. And we saw with this weekend because of C2E2, they didn't do it. And they're they're not going to have StarCast uh, coming up in May either that, um, you know, do, do you think that that affects the the buzz at all, or is that more so going to affect those that are traveling to these shows? Maybe to the to the hardcore fan base, which I guess at this point can you know is is a lot of people. Uh, because I, I would say some of those early starcasts, you kind of had like the the aura of CM Punk surrounding some of those events. Um, I would say maybe it makes a difference for people making the travel um, to these events. But for me personally, I don't. See, I don't think I would have been that much more interested in this show had StarCast mm-hmm. existed. You know, I think my, my interest level was already very high based off of the television uh, with or without StarCast. And how do you feel Saturday night is working for them for uh, that being their pay-per-view night? I like it. I mean, it's weird because I like NXT on Sunday, but I like AEW on Saturday. In the end, I What about I Thursday afternoon? No, that's uh, – some people like that, but I don't think it makes a difference. Either way, if you want to see a show, you're going to see a show. Whether I think ultimately that is what it comes down to. I mean, yeah. yes, you're always going to have um, different levels of competition. Saturday night is a busy night for sports. But yeah, if yeah. you have a hot event, 
it'll cut through all of that. Mm-hmm. So um, again, that'll be an interesting number to see in the, in the weeks to come. But uh, Revolution, as we mentioned, from the Wintrust Arena, they did uh, they did call this a sellout. Um, mm-hmm. on the broadcast in Chicago and on the the pre-show we had a really simple promo backstage with Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky asking Christopher Daniels to stay backstage and Daniels feeling that they're buying into all this these rumors of him being the exalted one so um, Excalibur and Taz were there to call the lone pre-show match that was Kazarian and Sky against the Dark Order and th- this was a fine tag match really nothing wrong with it and we had uh, Stu Grayson sending Sky off his shoulders into a sit-out powerbomb from Evil Uno. Then Kazarian came in with a double clothesline after being shot into them. And then, out of nowhere, Evil Uno nailed Sky from behind with a clothesline, and Grayson just got the cover from Scorpio Sky. It didn't seem like people were ready for that to be the finish. Nine minutes, 23 seconds. I would say in a similar position, um, I thought this was a much better uh, pre-show match than we had with uh, the Viking Raiders and the OC on Thursday. That again, it was... I don't even remember that one. Well, it was, you know, for (laughs) a tag match that was just kind of thrown onto the pre-show, which I saw both of these shows uh, presenting. I would say this was the better one, but also not a match that I think too many people would be thinking about after the show. No, no. I mean, I expected them to make some big announcement regarding, you know, when the reveal of the Exalted One might be. We didn't really get that here. Instead, what we got was... uh, the post-match involving Christopher Daniels. Um, yeah. Afterward, Dark Order is beating down Kazarian and Scorpio Sky when Colt Cabana's music plays. And he comes out and Cabana w- got one of the bigger reactions, is at least uh, the early portion of the show. Um, Chicago. But, yeah. In Chicago, it was a surprise. Um, Cabana and Grayson just traded blows. And then Dark Order had the numbers advantage. They beat down on Cabana. And the arena is chanting for Cabana when a hooded figure walks out reveals himself to be Christopher Daniels, but it's all a swerve because he attacks Dark Order and hits an angel's wings. And that was it. They just kind of, the the baby faces posed in the ring and the mystery will continue about the reveal of the Exalted One. But the idea here of Christopher Daniels aligning himself with SCU and by extension, Cole Cabana. Seems to extinguish the, uh, the idea of Christopher Daniels being the Exalted One, which I don't think anybody really bought into anyway, especially with, I think, uh, expectations and rumors about Matt Hardy being so strong um, and the tease with Christopher Daniels, I think, being a little maybe uh, too too obvious, too. Um, I don't necessarily thought that this reveal mm, felt that big. It felt like a buy-in worthy reveal, which basically means that it was just kind of there. Ultimately, um, I, I, I think Colt is great for the Chicago crowd. I understand why they chose him here, but I thought he was a pretty awkward fit to jam into the middle of this, like you know, story that's been progressing quite like for quite a while on its own now. Um, to just have Colt Cabana all of a sudden in- injected into it. I don't know if this is this means that he'll, he'll be an AEW or if this was just a one-night-only thing. I kind of feel like it's more of a one-night-only thing. Well, it seems like the Jeff Cobb precedent is AEW will use people that they don't have under deals. And if you're Colt Cabana as well, you suddenly just got a couple, a couple weeks off from New Japan that, I oh, mean, yeah. if, if they wanted to... So. He, he's got some free dates now, so... Um, I, I don't know. This really felt like a one-off to me that they were in Chicago and mm-hmm. he wasn't put, there wasn't any kind of angle shot with him. It was more so just to throw him out there and he got a great reaction. Got a great reaction live. I, I, I wonder how it, it translated to maybe other parts of the country. For me, it felt a little bit out, out of nowhere. Um, I thought this guy was in chaos. 
you know, I didn't know it was an SCU. <laughs> that would have been funny if he came out and then realized, hey, dude, this is for SCU. You're not, you're not from, I guess, I guess Daniel's really technically isn't from Southern California either, but he's migrated. <laughs> sure. uh, that could have been the, the joke here. Maybe he's from South Chicago. Excalibur, I actually would have expected to have a line like, he's not part of this group. <laughs> uh, so that was it. They brought out Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone uh, as Taz tagged out. As a buy-in, I thought this was a good, brief, inoffensive buy-in. You know, I think... Um, I, I Sometimes I feel like some of the elements from the countdown special might have been might have worked well here, just to kind of drive people home. But, I mean, as we've seen in their previous buy-ins, they kind of just treat them as like... You know, give, they give them more of a live feel with the announcers doing sort of like the big sell at the end. I also like these being 30 minutes, in yes. the, as opposed to the WWE hour-long yes. kickoffs that are just... They just go on yeah. and on. That half hour, this was very concise and yep. kept it brief. I wanted to also also talk about some of the production elements because this is a pay-per-view. They're sometimes different. So we had a beautiful looking set here with AEW. Uh, we again got the elevated ramp, but this time they added like a big graphics board on the ramp itself. It looked amazing. Looked fantastic. Uh, also, we had synchronized light up bracelets that were given yeah. to the entire crowd. And they were synchronized so that like it was essentially... It turned the crowd into a giant video wall that would, like, you know, with the wristbands changing color, uh, being controlled by some sort of sensor. The fans system. were part of the production. I thought it was really cool. I thought it was really unique. Yeah. I'd probably get tired of that thing on my wrist all night. <laughs> you don't, you probably wouldn't have to put it on if you didn't want I'm to. I'm sure it's optional. Yeah, yeah. It's not like everybody had it on, but it, it was a cool, it was different. I, was I like, different. I like different ideas that are incorporated to. Look, just look like an alternative trying like, new different things. ideas yeah. yeah they're trying new things um you know we had uh opening uh cold open video package that i thought was very well done as well uh, i thought uh increase in quality from what we saw at full gear uh maybe you can comment a little more on some of the camera work tonight as well because it seemed it, it was spotty at times uh I, there were certainly rough uh patches uh, in the music cues um, several of them, yes. Several of them. Um, in, in some of the cutaway shots, I think I personally have, have a lot of issue with. So we'll get to all that. Sure. So we go into the uh, pay-per-view portion. So it's Jim Ross, Excalibur. And for the first time on an AEW pay-per-view, Tony Schiavone it was available this weekend and was uh, on the three-man uh, broadcast. But uh, we were remarking on this as we were watching it. But, um, you know, Taz has been doing a very good job. And he is a seamless transition whenever... Mm-hmm. Um, one of these guys is not available, and I think you know incorporating him more on Dynamite as well. I I think he fits in perfect with this group. I like I've said on in my uh, you know when we're talking about this week's Dynamite, I actually prefer him to Tony. I think he he really has surprised me with how serious of an announcer he is. He's not jokey Taz. He's somebody who's not just you know in tune as as he's always been with like the in ring technique, but he knows the stories. He knows the characters because he's been doing dark. He knows all the undercard guys. Whenever he brings oh. up like the the judo roots of something, I just always love those sure. from Taz. Yeah. Like he's just he's like an expert on like the technique stuff, and mm-hmm. I I just have always enjoyed that about his uh, style of commentary. We had Desiree Chalice sing the national anthem at the start of the show. And then kicking things off were Dustin Rhodes and Jake Hager. Hager comes out and his wife, Catalina, is in the front row and he just sticks his tongue right down her throat. And the camera zooms in on this for an uncomfortable amount of time. Um, And like, like kind of like. 
it, it was almost like a total disconnect from the Jake Haggard character that we've had to this point. That was my problem with it. I mean, I think it's a good heel, like, you know, thing. Oh, a guy makes up with his hot wife before the match. But it's it's got... He was playing someone completely com- different tonight. Completely different from the, the inner circle Jake Hager that we've seen yeah. up until this point. Uh, Rhodes came out with a QT Marshall, but he did the, uh, the Lana introduction and just immediately walked to the back. And... Rhodes was wearing a shirt that read, I'm here to fight Jericho's bitch. And this encouraged Jericho's bitch chants throughout, which thankfully were on pay-per-view and not on television. Oh, man. Yeah, I can't imagine. That would have uh, made this match unbearable. Uh, They went into the crowd, like a ton of fire from Dustin Rhodes here. Catalina is shouting instructions at Hager. And Dustin, like, sends Hager into the guardrail, walks up to Catalina... And just forces himself on her, kissing her like yeah. a spot out of like the mid 80s, mid 70s that is just so dated and uncomfortable today that for it's it's not a good baby face spot. I I I had the same reaction. Watching I just it. Uh, it's I, just from another era. The crowd reacted to it live. I mean, because Dustin's a baby face, but man, like sitting at home without feeling that live energy, all we're seeing is you know the this supposed baby face. In 2020, you know, forcing himself on another man's wife, which I, I, I think you know, some people will complain. Oh, what's you know, what are you complaining about? Why are you so sensitive? This is you know, classic wrestling stuff. But that, I mean, that's that's the thing we talked about recently on the show. It's like, oh, it's just pro wrestling. It's like, no, it's I, I don't know. I'm not saying this like t- took the match away, but to me, it's just I think it, at it's, least, a, it's a spot that I don't like anymore at the very least i think some people would have felt comfortable from with this and, and my problem with it is that it, it is just a really dated spot that makes aew a company that i consider to be very progressive it's tone deaf to to, to look dated yeah hager then uh slammed Rhodes on the mat and he hit a vader bomb for a two count uh hager did the tyson fury where he like stuck the tongue out to go lick dustin but shivani noted there was no blood uh, Rhodes got a near fall after kicking him low and hitting a destroyer that Aubrey Edwards missed. And then Rhodes went for an arm bar that got countered into an ankle lock by Hager. Rhodes broke free. And then with Edwards back turned, Hager hit the the knee low, applying the arm triangle that Hager has won two of his fights in uh, in Bellator. And Edwards just immediately called for the bell at 1443. I had no idea about that, what you just said. And I wish the had answers informed me about they, it. They did mention it once that he has won in MMA with that hold. When did they mention that? I, I did catch it near the end, I think, when he applied it. Okay. They didn't even recognize that it was an arm triangle until the tap, you know, or right. close to the tap. Yeah. It, so, sh- it should have been set up a bit better. So, I mean, I I, I just, for, for a, a move that I guess was supposed to be a finish, um, I, I maybe it could have been served a little bit better. Um, I was personally disappointed by this match. You know, um, I, I think for as much as they've reinvented Hager in a non-speaking role, in ring, this felt like a Jack Swagger match to me. You know, it did not feel all that different. Very slow-paced, WWE style in the middle. But I don't think Hager really has that ability to work the crowd in a way that a Chris Jericho might or, uh, you know, an MJF even might be able to in order to get away with that slower style. And I, I think Dustin... For as much as I think the crowd liked him, because he was just sort of fighting from behind here, I, the crowd didn't really latch on to like much of what he had to, to offer. I, I thought Dustin did the heavy lifting in this match, but I, I too felt that this match, it just seemed to be doing a lot. And there was, to me, like this was 
Like this felt like Catalina happened to be at the pay-per-view. So let's utilize her. Mm. And it was to the detriment of the match because you were almost introduced to her that you're expecting her to somehow get involved. It was a total separation from the Hager that has just been this strong, silent mercenary on television. And now all of a sudden he's playing this completely different character. Um, I thought Dustin showed a lot of fire, but this also it it missed the mark to, to me that I was hoping this one would hit. Yeah, and I'll say again, I have I had very high expectations for every match on this show, including this one, because Dustin has just been received so well by the audience, and I didn't really get that same level of like emotional attachment that I I I would have expected here. Um, do you think maybe like introducing um, Swagger's wife into this was just was there maybe they had some concern that he 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 didn't have enough in his repertoire to just do a plain singles MMA style match? I it, it really felt like. That shouldn't have been a problem, I feel, in this. Like, I, I felt like the two styles would would have been fine, but it almost seemed like they didn't want Hager to do, like, an, like a, you know, shooter. A, a shooter style, like, MMA style, where this goes five or six minutes. They wanted to get 15 out of this, and in order to do that, they had to do a lot of shortcuts. They involved Catalina, and to me, it just... It just was such a mishmash of different ideas colliding together, and I think this match could have just used like somebody to say, "Okay, we got to cut certain stuff out and maybe streamline this match, and it would be to the it would overall be more effective." I do think this audience did want to be behind Dustin, and and I think they were largely when he would would fire up, and I think Dustin did look good in this, but this one, yeah, like you, I had high expectations for this, and I just felt it didn't really hit its mark. Um, and afterwards, like, I, I don't even know where this necessarily, like, Hager is more so positioned at this point, like, kind of like the the goofball jock than, like, the serious muscle that, and, and maybe that's that's the role that they see him in. Uh, yeah. Um, it, I would say his role, I think, is still kind of being developed within the inner circle because he's just, you know, sort of like such a strong silent type. You can still go into many different directions with him. And it's clear from this match that they're still experimenting. Um, then afterwards we go to, uh, oh, th- we, this was not part of the show, uh, or nor was he acknowledged, but, uh, Dan Lambert was there in the yes, front row, the MLW's front row. Dan Lambert now. Yes. Yes. As was Scrump who, uh, fought off <laughs> food poisoning and an IV drip in order to make it to this show in his post wrestling shirt front row. So shout out to Scrump. Uh, I'll mention if, uh, for those that aren't following MLW, uh, heal dan lambert with king mo it's a pretty good act uh right now the two of them paired together so awesome um and and i think king mo is you know not all that different from what they're trying to do with with haggard it's a bit different but um like king mo certainly works so much better as a heel than when he was a baby face in in tna so so far and lambert's great anyway darby allen samu guevara was next uh the beginning minutes of this were just absolutely insane Guevara gets draped on the guardrail and Darby went for a just this insane suicide dive and he caught his feet on the rope and he's going like a torpedo towards Sammy Guevara. He came so close to just cracking into Guevara's head because he was in like mm. the tree of woe position on the guardrail. Thankfully, they didn't crack heads, but they were dangerously close. I I mean at best like oh. Darby Darby took a huge like oh it was still nasty crash. but man head to head that yeah. that just looked frightening. Um, Guevara then gets up he takes the skateboard and whips it at Darby's head from the floor. Um, Allen is then placed on a table and 
Guevara comes off the top to the floor with a 6.30 splash, putting Darby through the table. This is all before the bell rings to Mm -hmm. start the match. We then get the beginning of the match, and Guevara just runs at him with this knee strike. One man Spanish fly off the top for a big near fall. He removes the turnbuckle padding, but Allen catapults Guevara into the buckle, rotating stunner, and the coffin drop to win in 4 minutes and 58 seconds. This was... This was really closer to a 10-minute match with all the stuff beforehand, Mm -hmm. but this was as uh, action-packed a five minutes as you could pack into that time. There was not – and it still – it didn't even feel like it was um, just mind-numbing either, but it was just consistent action, and these guys did not let up. I I thought this totally worked. It told a story from the get-go. It was like Darby Allin taking a lot of risk, fucking up. And uh, Sammy Guevara capitalizing, beating the shit out of him, laying him out before getting into the ring to start the match so that he could already have the advantage once the bell rings. And I thought Sammy, to me, was the star of this match. He looked great. Darby Allen's fantastic, but I think Sammy's heel work was excellent here. The way he was able to control the crowd, played just such a great heel, capitalizing on, you know, uh, a wounded opponent all match. I thought he was fantastic. Like, this um, is one of the better five minutes you're going to see. This uh, would have certainly been the match I would have started the pay-per-view off with. You know, it was a hot, fast opener. You uh, wanted to see more after. Like, this yeah. was... I I really preferred this as opposed to these guys going, like, 16 minutes and... Told a story, man. Like, yeah. you know, even, like, the botch uh, here at, at the beginning or, like, some of these other moves that didn't look all that crisp, it helped play into the story. You know, so I, I, I thought this was a great showcase of your next generation of guys. Both these guys, I think, uh, helped themselves greatly uh, mm-hmm. with this performance. I thought it was one of, one of the strongest things on the show. Kenny Omega, Hangman Page against the Young Bucks for the tag titles. Uh, surprised at all uh, where this was placed on the a show. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. You know, um, I, I don't I don't know if I would have expected them to go like in order of importance like we've kind of seen in, in the past. I think they should have on the show, to be I honest. I think they should have too. This was... I, I think it got hurt later mm-hmm. where you had – you clearly saw like the dip down and that puts a lot of pressure on those matches to try and over-deliver. But I think that it – kind of affected the flow of the show the only exception being pack versus uh Orange oh Cassidy. they could have followed anything tonight they could <laughs> yeah, have followed anything could have placed that match anywhere um but it, this was third on the show uh omega's right shoulder is all taped up that they're crediting to Pac coming out of the iron man match and early on omega nick jackson well i have to say the storytelling starts even before the match it starts with the entrances, and it starts with the look on Hangman Page's face as he's just like, he looks pissed off. Kenny Omega comes in, and, and Page has his back turned to Kenny. They're, like, se- they're out s- separate entrances. They've got, like, you know, Page is going nose to nose with Matt Jackson. Like, I'm watching Page's acting from, like, even before the bell until uh, until he's out of the arena. He was, like, he was really tremendous, like, pre- and post-match mm-hmm. in, in this whole thing. Omega and Nick, they shake hands early on, and then moments later, Matt offers his hand to Paige, and Paige spits in his face. Uh, so then, the champions go to town, attacking Matt's lower back, and the announcers talk about his past issues with his back, and Paige goes over to the timekeeper's area. He's going to powerbomb Matt, but Omega rolls Matt back into the ring, saying, we're going to do it inside of the ring. Um, some of the highlights here, they double-team Matt, and... Omega then hoisted Matt into a suplex by Page, and Page like dropped Matt on his neck. This looked uh, awful. It's a spot they've been running like uh, as a tag team to shove into the the uh, high ankle German, but this was a little too high. 
Uh, Nick did the fantastic comeback with all of these kicks. Then he flipped onto the stage and came back with a destroyer into the ring to Paige. And then as Paige comes back, he does the Marty Skrull setup to apply the chicken wing on Matt Jackson. Did the uh, just kidding super kick as well to the knee. Yes. At the beginning, uh, which was a detail I absolutely loved because, I mean, of the storyline implication. Yeah, like teasing just that. Um, I'm sorry. Marty Skrull was the first guy to be ostracized from the elite. I'm calling back to him to show that I am I'm I feel the same way. I feel as left out as he did. And everyone recognized it too. Absolutely. Um so Matt is able to reverse out of the chicken wing uh, as Nick then lands a 450 splash onto Page. Page then lifted up um it was Nick onto the turnbuckle and he did the bandito spot with the fallaway slam moonsault and uh, only gets the two count. The audience is on their feet at this point. Omega fires up uh, two snap dragons and a tiger driver 98 onto Nick. He kicks out of that. Uh, then Nick does a reverse Rana off of the top. Matt did the rolling Northern light suplexes to page on the ramp. He did it from the inside of the ring to the outside. And then before he did the last one onto the video screen, he gives this little pause and a look to the audience like, all right, these 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 first few were were for a competition. This last one is because I hate this motherfucker. <laughs> so um, they hit an indie taker to Page on the ramp, and now the audience is booing the box, mm-hmm. um, and they're getting behind Hangman. Mm-hmm. They proceeded to attack Omega with a, a barrage of super kicks and a double team Kamagoye. It was a golden trigger. Yeah, the go- Yeah, they called out the golden trigger, and I thought that was just so rude you know like to it's the idea that the bucks are trying to embarrass them as well they're using like the the move of kenny's like that kenny used to do with his ex basically you know to remind to like you know just throw salt into the wound of uh like it all plays into the escalation of like hatred that that progressed throughout this match. I love that they used this. It got super personal. It was great. Omega kicks out at it at one. Yeah. Like he was so pissed. He wasn't even going to lay down for this. Yeah, yeah. That was like a really great part of this yeah. match. And then I also enjoyed this. Matt then in frustration starts stomping the injured shoulder. So earlier on, Omega was not going to stoop to that level for Matt mm-hmm injured back that he has a history of getting power bomb through the timekeeper's table and when matt loses his cool he goes after the weakened portion of kenny omega mm-hmm. i thought like this was some great stuff excellent yeah. um they set up uh, they set up omega for the Meltzer driver when page came back took nick off the apron and put him through a table they hit the combination v trigger buckshot lariat they've been building this up for months and matt kicks out of it huge response to that mm-hmm. Omega tries for the one-winged angel to Matt. His shoulder is so fucked up. He tries to go to the right one, and he can't do it. So Paige comes in and hits Matt with the one-winged angel. Nick makes Dude. the save. I would have been fine if that was the end. I've, I lost it. I thought this was so good. It I was, mean, I, I'm such a nerd. Like, you, you have to appreciate so much the detail of so, a guy going for his finisher and realizing his shoulder that he usually does it with is so hurt that he has to resort to using the other one, which gives the other guy, the victim, enough time to escape. And then the other story that plays into it is Paige saying, look at this mother, like, look at this dude. I've been, I've been held back long enough. Let me do your move because I can do it better than you. So, so great. Nick makes the save for the one-winged angel cover, 
and then Paige hits a buckshot lariat to Nick on the stage, and then one to Matt in the ring. Paige pins Matt clean at oh. 30 minutes and five seconds. This was a tremendous match, um, like hands-down match of the show. Yes. Um, this was what, what a, a 11 days of what Kenny Omega has done with the the tag title match with Phoenix mm-hmm. and Pentagon with Paige, yep. the Iron Man this week, and then capping it off with this. I I love this match. It was fantastic, and like I really liked like the subtle the subtlety at the end of all of this. That you know your best friends at the end of this, they like were assholes to you, and it's like here I was, I was the one ultimately that had your back here, and Matt here stomping away at your shoulder. These guys uh, invoking uh, Kota Bushi into this match. Mm. Um, they, you're, these are your friends, certainly. Yeah, uh, th- there was so much in this match. The, the in ring uh, was was absolutely awesome, but I mean, n- none of it matters unless you had the story. And this was a match where you had plenty of story. And I think in the leading role with, as breakout performer was Adam Page. Um, we know how good he is in ring, but I at least I personally never seen him be able to tell this emotional character driven story and everything he's been doing with the drinking has led up to this point and the guy like fucking delivered like he was amazing here from the entrance to the match itself to everything post match great subtle looks i there were some beautiful details in this match that we had talked about you know the Barty scroll references um indicating pages perhaps his regret that he didn't join marty you know when when marty didn't join the elite afterwards uh the golden trigger was great um i I, I love the stuff with the one-winged angel. You know, um, this was a match, as uh, I believe Nick Jackson has said, it was very much influenced by the Golden Lovers Young Bucks match and the type of storytelling they were, that they were trying to do there. I don't I don't think, it for me, it reached the emotional heights of that story because that was a, a story that took longer to tell. Um, it, it was years in the making, really. And it, it was also, I think, eh, maybe like uh, this to me felt more like it was a replication and because it was a shorter feud, but it very much like treaded in that similar territory. And it's just, it's my favorite type of wrestling when you can combine story with just incredible in-ring athleticism. And these guys were masters at it. Yeah. And um, yeah, and Omega and Paige keep the tag titles, which I, I wasn't so sure they would here. But. You know, the story's too good to extinguish because once they lose the belt, you know, they're going to Kenny versus, you know, uh, Paige. I think they could get way more life out of this before they go there. Yeah, I, I think that there's a lot where you can continue this too, like of w- whether it is Omega more so siding with Paige now, seeing him as like this guy yeah. who truly does have my back here. I can trust this guy versus the Bucks who I now have, you know, th- there is like this underlying like v- vengefulness towards mm-hmm. them instead of being like your friends who we were just going to be, you know, the the line that Matt used that we're competitors and we're going to win those titles and feeling that they were underhanded in some of their tactics in this match. We'll was- see where they go. I mean, the post-match kind of indicates that, you know, Kenny's cool with the Bucks, but Paige is still somewhat ostracized. Well, afterwards, yeah, it was Kenny was with the Bucks and Paige was not going to celebrate with them. But in the end, it was the Bucks leaving and then Paige put his arm around Omega and they left together. Mm, right. So... Um, again, this was uh, certainly the the match to go out of your way to see if you mm. missed this pay-per-view. Mm. And then in the unenviable task of following this was Nyla Rose and Chris Statlander for the AEW women's title. There was there was no getting the crowd back this quick for, for this one. Like this certainly was the one hurt most by the crowd. But let's be honest, this this match was not good. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think this match had a tough task either way, just given the experience level uh, of both women um, in a spot like this. But especially after the last one, it was going to have to be a really great match. And it wasn't, unfortunately. Yeah, Statlander hit uh, a series of suicide dives. And Jim Ross was pointing out she's got to bring Rose into the ring to win the title. Statlander was then draped on the top rope. Nyla climbed to the top and was going to go for like a guillotine leg drop. But Statlander did a handstand and walked herself into the middle, lay down and blew a kiss at Nyla Rose, who was just waiting there on the top turnbuckle. Then Statlander came off the ropes and got hit with a beast bomb, but kicked out of that. Statlander then set up for a superplex and you could see like her footing was not right, but she continued and tried to fight through it and slipped and nearly uh, this could have been way worse. This superplex looked awful. They go to the opposite corner and Nyla Rose stopped a top rope hurricane Rana and is trying several times to lift her up for the beast bomb and finally hits it after struggling and wins the match in 12 minutes, 46 seconds. Um, I thought this was the weakest match on the show. It was in a terrible position, but it's not like they went out and had this match that um, I, I can't say like they went out to and prove people wrong either. Um, this was just this didn't work. It was a match that, that, you know, was hurt by placement, perhaps hurt just by the, the quality of events that it was, but also hurt because I think these are just two people that just aren't as. I think Nyla is like, you know, a pretty, pretty, uh, the audience is very familiar with, but Chris Statlander is still brand new and somebody that I think really hasn't ha- made enough of a connection with the crowd in order to, um, have a spot on a, on a stack show like this, unfortunately. So the crowd was respectful. They did not really seem that engaged. And I would say their reactions, at least across TV, felt very flat throughout. So I, in hindsight, I wonder if like Chris Antlander was the best for this role because she see, clearly seems to be somebody that they, they had big plans for. I kind of feel like an appearance like this kind of hurts her, you know, kind of exposes her as somebody who uh, doesn't feel like a big deal coming out of this. Yeah, I mean, this was one where it just, um, the two sides just, it, it was really in the last few minutes that it, it really, to me, kind of fell apart. And it was just kind of, um, yeah, the 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 atmosphere didn't help either. Cody and MJF followed that. And we had Cody coming out to a live performance from Downstate, along with his huge entourage that featured Arn Anderson, Brandy, Dustin, Stephen Amell was there. And then there were others as well. Um, the highlight of this was Arn doing the throat slash at MJF. Mm. And it looked like his head was going to fall off his shoulders. So <laughs> so we were watching this with our, with our good friend Damian Abraham. Yeah. And, you know, he pointed out to us how it's clear Cody is a heel. And I was arguing against him. Okay. But like Damian in hindsight had some really great points. Like this is a guy who owns or is, is an executive in the company comes up with a heavy entourage full of guys against MJF and Wardlow, really just two guys. Um, but I was like, Oh, come on. Like this is, this is all your interpretation, Damian. You know, like <laughs> we were, we were arguing back and forth almost, but then like throughout the match, I started to understand where he was coming from. Listen, and we, we've talked about this before. Like there's a lot of elements of the Cody character that they are, they are heel traits. Yeah. And I mean the, like the money and like, you know, just mm-hmm. the way he just casually threw his money out to get the rematch with MJF. It's like, but he is so loved by my, this audience. My argument is that, you know, unlike a guy who just appears to be rich, uh, like a, like the million dollar man. 
to me, I think why the audience in AEW gravitates toward towards Cody is that they see the hard work that he's done, the risk that he's taken, leaving the WWE, building this company, you know, from from a a, a, a dare, you know, on online um, to this. And so it feels like money that's earned rather than just money that was handed down. But Damien doesn't see it that way. No, he sees uh, <laughs> Cody, the uh, rich pl- son of Dusty Rhodes, playing Cody but living as MJF yeah. is essentially what he sees. Um, but so overall, I just like from a overall perspective, uh, I thought this was the best match I've seen MJF have. I think that he showed that he can do like a big match with like a heavy storyline attached to it because that's always been the critique of MJF is that he's this fantastic character can he be a, a big like main event player to do the match and i just thought you know he he's not the guy that's going to be doing uh anything in like the Kenny Omega repertoire but i mean he, to me like just his mannerisms the heel tactics in this the just just little things that he did in this match i i was i was very impressed by him doing this over the course of 25 minutes i think he's really lived up to that like main eventer's role over the past you know this this entire Cody program and i would certainly say he's lived up to that um uh, main eventer's tan as well in this match oh dude he i think just <laughs> uh, locked himself into a tanning bed and woke up on saturday ready for this pay-per-view he, he probably put himself in like a spray tan tornado boy um MJF was repeatedly just rolling to the floor, trying to get away from from Cody. Early on, he hit a Cody cutter, and MJF kicked out at one. And then MJF, this was, uh, he decided to work over the toe of Cody. His broken toe from the moonsault off the steel cage uh, that they had talked about. On the floor, okay, this really was uh, exhibit B for Damien's case. Brandy, without any provocation, just walks up to Wardlow and throws a beer in his face just to provoke him and see if he would go for it. Cody then hits him with a suicide dive, uh, but then MJF snaps Cody's arm on the top rope and Wardlow drives the shoulder into the post as as Cody had his arm worked over and MJF eventually went for the salt of the earth, which is his Fujiwara armbar. Then he ties up both arms and the leg watching his Zack Sabre Jr. matches and Cody bit the bottom rope watching his Tomohiro Ishii matches. The one from Long Beach. Yes, right. Uh, MJF took off Cody's boot and proceeded to bite the toe. Mm-hmm. Cody then uh, took MJF to the top and hit the inverted superplex. And at one point here, MJF just comes up and he is a, a faucet is leaking out of his forehead. I don't know if we've missed the the point where he was supposed to have like been busted open. Last thing I last offensive move I saw him tick was that inverted superplex. But maybe yeah, we else. might have just missed the yeah. uh, the the spot in, in this. But he's just got the whole crimson mask going on here. Brandy uh, runs off the apron and Wardlow catches her. Cody tells him to put her down as Arn comes from behind and rescues Brandy. So then Cody goes for a running bicycle kick. And Mrs. Wardlow and takes out Uncle Arn. And Arn just sold this like he was dead. He's down on the floor and the match has to continue. Cody and MJF get into a big striking exchange. Cody does the flip flop and fly. The crowd's chanting Dusty. MJF comes back, hits the double cross. Cody kicks out. Behind the referee's back, Cody kicks MJF in the balls. And then hits Din's fire, the vertebraker. MJF kicks out. Then, after... (laughs) 
MJF was admonished by referee Paul Turner. Cody gets the weightlifting belt. He whips him. Paul Turner gets in the way. Cody says, let me just whip him again. And Paul Turner says, sure, go for it. So he whips MJF. He probably just needed to say, okay, boss. Like... It was really, it felt like that. I mean, you were building this to like have a modicum of sympathy for MJF here, who was trying to fight the enormous numbers disadvantage (laughs) of all these people at ringside, a goddamn live band, a crooked referee, (laughs) a live band, and this guy Downstate was going to come in for the advantage. Well, come on. He had to listen to that song live. I mean, he's probably, his ears are bleeding. (laughs) Um, Maybe maybe that's where the blood came from. (laughs) So MJF gets whipped. And then he's on his knees. He's crying for forgiveness. He hugs Cody, and then he spits in his face again. And Cody snaps one double cross, two or one crossroads, two crossroads. Goes for a third crossroads, but on the third, MJF hits him with a knee, and then pulls out the ring from the trunks, nails him in the head, puts the ring away, and climbs on top. And he pins Cody at 24 minutes and 34 seconds. I like the finish. The idea I thought was was that Cody's own cockiness and lust for revenge is what ultimately cost him the win. Um, He's Tetsuya Naito. I guess going so. for that going Stardust, for Stardust press. press. Yeah. Um, MJF, I certainly felt like needed to win this one in order to kind of continue where he's at. It, it, I think the feud even continues coming off of this point with uh, MJF being the first victor. Um, all in all, though, I again I had very high expectations for this one. And so I was left a little bit disappointed because I thought the energy of the crowd was relatively flat for a feud that I thought was built so well. Um, I had trouble getting into Cody as sort of that sympathetic baby face. Instead, I found him to be very much the aggressor. It was MJF that was the, the one that was bleeding. Cody had the three-on-two advantage. The referee let him use the belt. Um, I felt he was more of a sympathetic baby face even in that Wardlow match than he was here. But I wonder if part of that kind of plays into the finish, too. The fact that, like, you know, Cody is now so cocky, he's kind of gotten uh, ahead of himself and not realizing, you know, like, you you have to be a little bit humble and, and not to take a guy like MJF that's, uh, that lightly. Yeah, it was, you know, we know with the Cody pay-per-view matches, he's going for the big epic drama. Like, that's going to be... You know, his role That's with the these, president with these deep grudge matches. So that's kind of the expectation level. I I can't complain too much about this. Like I, I enjoyed it for what it was at 24 and a half minutes. I, I didn't think it, it dragged. I thought it was the right amount of time. Uh, it didn't have, you know, certainly you go back to Dustin. It, it was not Dustin. It was not that level of heat or drama. But I thought for MJF, I thought this was certainly uh, an above expectation level for me was met from mm. MJF. I was I was impressed with him mm. um playing the, the heel in this match a lot. Yeah. Um and with Cody, yeah, it's um another loss for him and I guess it's do you continue this? Do you take a break from this and MJF is thrust into like this is a big win for MJF that mm-hmm. with the outcome of the main event throws him into um kind of that mix as well like getting such a big win or you just continue this feud with some big blow off at double or nothing i think you can go there if you wanted to um i think the program can have enough legs um but at the same time if you wanted this to be some sort of resolution and cody just you know blames himself for the loss and moves on i'd be fine with that as well so i think they can go both ways uh now something that they're also doing the long play on is arn Cause, yeah, uh, that was obviously something big that they included in this. Cody kicked on here, and I think that the expectation is always now going to be from this point on, 
it's going to be when is Arn going to, uh, to to be the one to turn on Cody? And they didn't do it here. They walked together to the back as if nothing was wrong, although Arn was separated from Cody and, and Brandy. But that seems to be sort of the next big storyline. Maybe, and they announced this later in the show, is that the March 25th show in uh, New Jersey, mm-hmm. they're going to be doing their version of War Games that they're promoting as Blood and Guts. Yes. And to me, to do that match... I think that would be the time to do something involving like the elite coming together mm-hmm. and they're all on different pages at sure. the moment. Yeah. Um, pardon the pun. Yep. And it's the five of them for the first time all on in one match teaming together against five, the five big heels. Like a temporary truce or, or does that fix? Does that yeah. S- and I think you could work in something. Yeah. Where it's like their common opponents at the time you can get mjf in there Mm -hmm. you can get jericho whatever your combination is of the five heels but it's the elite versus them and that could be arn's turn they already teased arn once with the um with the cage door and they thought that he was going to throw the door and he nailed mjf with the door Mm -hmm. and yeah you could tease that spot there's many ways you can go about it but i think the like arn as a babyface manager to me that was always going to be a short-term thing you Mm want to eventually turn him and then let the promos just run wild. Although, although they're just sitting on Tully Blanchard and that guy's not doing anything. Yeah. That's very disappointing. Oh, maybe he'll be involved. Sure. Sure. I'd love it. Those two should be like warring managers. I would love it. They, they, they briefly, I mean, that's how Arnold was introduced, right? Yeah. But yeah, didn't haven't really done that much with Tully. So we didn't even talk about the tattoo. So Cody came out and he had this neck tattoo on and they did uh, tweet out photos of him getting this. Uh, it is a real done. tattoo. We were debating. We weren't sure. So um, a real neck tattoo. Would you like, should we get post-wrestling uh, logos on our neck right there? How about as soon as we get an action figure deal and we finalize <laughs> it, then let's get tattoos. I do wonder about that. Maybe like he was holding on to his action figures and he was like, you, yeah. you joke, but like those company, like video games and like action figures. Like, providing that's a legit tattoo, they should be pissed. Oh, well, what I mean is, like, you know, maybe Cody was holding his doll and he was like, ah, you know, ah, kind of plain. Could use a tattoo on the neck. Well, they've... I mean, it gives them an excuse to sell a new one. Uh, yeah, I guess your your next generation series of Series two, series three. Sure, why not? Um, they're, they're not even all printed yet. Do you like the assume. tattoo? I think we'll get used to it. You know, as with all any sort of outrageous, crazy, like Brock Lesnar's chest tattoo, Mike Tyson's eye thing, we'll get used to it. Uh, It'll be a signature of his. And Cody left the ring apologizing uh, to the crowd. For the tattoo? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I wasn't I thinking. Was in Vegas. <laughs> Orange Cassidy versus Pac, the real main event of the show. Before they even lock up, the crowd is chanting, holy shit. Uh, they traded weak kicks, and Pac just shoved them down, getting annoyed at this guy. And then Cassidy just did these impressive counters and got a roll-up. This crowd was going nuts, and instantly you saw, like, Pac is, like, the best opponent for this guy. I didn't, I didn't know he would be. I didn't think how this would go, because I don't think I've seen Pac do comedy before. Um and how are they going to do this match? I liked it because comedy? it wasn't even Pac doing comedy. Yeah. It was him dealing with a guy's comedy. Well, he was a straight man. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. It just, it worked very well. Pac beat him down. He hit the avalanche brain buster, but then lifts up Cassidy. The same spot Cody did in the uh, the match prior, mm. lifting up MJF. Right. Pac sets up for the black arrow, but Cassidy rolls away. 
Then he rolls away again. Pac blocks him from exiting the ring, and then Pac is circling the ring, not paying attention as Cassidy does a kip up and dives to the floor as he fires up with this huge sequence. Place is erupting. He hits a stun dog millionaire, but then gets crotched on the top turnbuckle. Then he turns it into a swinging DDT off the top, leaps off the top, and hits the diving DDT, uh, Yoshinobu Kanemaru's uh, sudden impact. And this time, it's Pack rolling to the floor to avoid getting covered. Oh, it's like smart. it's like this acknowledgement from Pack begrudgingly that this guy is taking the fight to me. And it was just like a subtlety from Pack having to resort to removing himself from the ring. And then Pentagon Jr. and Ray Phoenix run down and they attack the best friends. Pack capitalizes by uh, snapping Cassidy's arm and applying the brutalizer as the referee calls for the bell at 13 minutes, one second. This tore the house down. Mm -hmm. This totally worked. These guys were just, they gelled perfectly. Like this was just a great pairing, a great match. And following this, I think you'll probably get a pretty great six man with the Phoenix, Pentagon, and Pac against the best friends and Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy, the biggest star in the company right now. Dude, this guy was a phenomenal signing. And I, I... thought it was a really good signing at the time and it's just like this this guy is so talented yeah he's yeah. great well i i think much of that was i i, I really do commend i think AEW for the their presentation of him because i i think you and i both know if this was orange cassidy in any other company if he was in a tna okay imagine if tna had him like 10 years ago when they're they were on tv I don't even talk about if WWE had this guy. No way would he change his name. We wouldn't get this treatment. At best, you would have him on Explosion, okay? Or like some some throwaway TV match. They protected Orange. They saw that what they had in Orange Cassidy, and they protected him and saved him for a, a pay-per-view semi-main event. And look at the reaction that it got. It felt like a pay-per-view semi-main event. And coming out of this, Orange Cassidy feels like a legitimately big star that you can save for special occasions. He's your Brock Lesnar <laughs> he, of AEW. He should only do matches on pay-per-views. Oh, my God. This was such an entertaining match. It was just, a, 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 for me, a, a creative highlight of the show. Different from anything else at any other pro wrestling, mainstream pro wrestling company. Obviously, um, he's been doing this for quite a long time elsewhere. But this is the first time the mainstream has got to see him wrestle a singles match. And the match told a good story. It was not just, you know comedy that 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 would you know infuriate jim Cornette, even though i'm sure he would be pissed off at this but it was a believable story of pack taking this guy lightly and then cassidy slowly peeling back the layers to reveal his hidden abilities and you know pack had to compensate taking them more and more seriously as cassidy took the match more and more seriously and it resulted in just this wonderful back and forth that didn't make pack look foolish and just resulted in like an incredible atmosphere I'm just like, this guy's a tremendous athlete. He is what he can do. It's just, this guy gets uh, way more criticism. I'm just, I'm blown away when I watch this guy. Like I'm really impressed with him. Yeah. I mean, the gimmick wouldn't work if he wasn't a great athlete. That was, you know, like if, if he was just a slacker who was actually not very athletic, I don't think it would work, but it's the fact that he's the slacker, but when he turns it on, he can actually turn it on. That's that interesting dynamic. Wow, this was this was the go home match for the main event of WrestleMania weekend for me because I can't wait for that. Oh yeah, yeah that's gonna be great. 
Uh, then they promoted the uh, Blood and Guts, their war games, on March 25th in New Jersey. So they're calling the, the cage match Blood and Guts, or are they actually just the event? They can't call it war games. Right. So okay. Blood and Guts is what they promoted it as. I love it. I mean, Two pay- rings. A pay-per-view named after a Vince McMahon comment and an investor's call. Yes, yes. Or it's a, a well, TV that's, special. That's where it came from. Yeah. So, And I think that kind of tells you what they have to deliver in that match. Like The fact is, we, we have seen blood on TV now, so it's not like they're that squeamish. Uh, TNT, so I would imagine this match, you to get the concept over, you're going to see tons of blood in that match. Some guts, too. Um, maybe. Perhaps. Maybe. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I don't know. Here and there. Uh, possible. Maybe, maybe someone will just throw up or something mm. violently. Main event was Chris Jericho and John Moxley. Moxley entered the building from outside in the cold. Oh yeah. Oh, Chicago. Man, wow. I You know how cold it is outside. Pretty cold, man. I can imagine walking around uh, like sleeveless Want me outside. to check the weather right now. My my app, it is currently minus minus 6 with a low of uh, feels like minus 9 in Toronto. That's crazy. I just I would never do this. Chris Jericho we cut to the Inner Circle Choir, uh, led by singer Meredith Bell, as they performed an a cappella version of Jericho's theme song. This was amazing. This was. That was beautiful. <laughs> they played it. And what I liked is that when she was done, they played the actual song. Yes. Because that's so a big part now of Jericho's entrance is the sing-along. playing the sing-along. Yeah. Exactly. And this crowd was... Everyone was singing it along, so it was a big-time entrance. He came out with Santana and Ortiz, and they fight through the crowd early on. Moxley bit Jericho's stitches that he got from the headbutt on Wednesday, and Jericho sent him through the timekeeper's table with a powerbomb, and Moxley starts bleeding um, from the forehead, but it's like the right side of his head um, where the eye patch is. Yeah, was it like not around the eye or like just You could the see eye? it after when he took the eye patch. It was like a, he was cut around his it forehead, like and it was, a, it was a bad cut. Serious cut, It too. looked like a really ugly cut. But this was probably a blade job, right? You would think, yeah. You would think. It just looks so bad. It looked like a chunk of his skin was out. I know. It didn't look like a cut. Um, they um, From there, Jericho just works the eye. So this is the first pay-per-view where I've seen a toe and an eye specifically targeted. We've run out of body parts in wrestling, man. Yeah. You gotta get creative. Uh, Jericho rang the bell, declaring himself the winner. Uh, and then he was in control for a long period of time. And then... The spot everyone was waiting. Every yep. every grappler out there was watching this weekend. Jericho <laughs> goes for the lion tamer, and it gets countered from Moxley's lessons from Randy Couture. Oh, yeah. Oh, the, yeah. Step aside, Dustin Rhodes. This is another natural that had his influence over this show. Dude. I mean, if you watch the Kent Dance show, uh, and if you're— Randy a, Couture is my favorite part. If you're any sort of, like, jujitsu nerd, I think you would have been geeking out over Randy Couture finding counters to the walls of Jericho. And they, they executed a beautiful transition to a heel hook, which Moxley—I mean, it didn't look perfect, but, like, it looked good enough. And I don't know how much—how how, how it really got over with the crowd, unfortunately, but, like, I, I really appreciate it. It wasn't a big part of the match, but no. for those that watched the countdown, that was, like, a little Easter egg mm-hmm. for you. Uh, Ortiz nailed Moxley with the Mad Ball, um, which is the loaded sock. Jericho hits the Lion Salt, which—just the fact he can hit this thing. Um, yeah, it still looks great. It still looks great. Yep. 
Moxley comes back with his own Boston Crab. Jake Hager runs down, forcing Moxley to release it. And this led to Jericho applying the walls and Moxley getting to the rope. Jericho shoves Aubrey Edwards and is trying to get disqualified, but she understands and is not going to disqualify him. And Hager strikes Moxley, leading to one of the biggest pops of the match where Edwards ejects Hager, Ortiz, and Santana. I love how she does a 360. Oh, dude, she's going crazy here. She's like doing the, like the dusty bionic elbow setup before she gives like just the biggest pop. She's great. And then with, Everyone focused on them leaving. Sammy Guevara runs in with a belt shot to Moxley and then runs away. Jericho gouges the good eye of Moxley. So now Moxley can't see. And Jericho's further attacking the eye. He sets up for the Judas effect, but Moxley ducks and hits a paradigm shift out of nowhere. Moxley removes the eye patch and the eye is healed. He can see. Can you explain this to me, though? He could have seen this whole time, so he was using he he wanted it to save it for the last minute so that he could trick Jericho into thinking that he wasn't um actually injured. But this is not like pretending you have an arm injury when you really don't putting an eye patch on your eye legitimately handicaps you. But he but, has relied uh, on sight from one eye for so long that he has <laughs> now got it it's like it's like being ambidextrous at this point. Like you can you can get by with your left hand instead of the right. And <laughs> so it was all he had this, he had this extra advantage the whole time of being double visioned, like being having two the the eyesight from two eyes. But he decided to save it till, till the very end of the match when he really needed the advantage. Is that it? This was the ace up his sleeve, the 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 vision from both eyes. Yes. He, so he in his back pocket he had twenty twenty vision. So. <laughs> So he could have beaten Jericho the whole time with two eyes, but decided to wait until this point. Well, Jericho spent all this time on this eye <laughs> that was healed. But you still feel pain in your eye. <laughs> I didn't like this. I'm sorry, okay? I like the I like the idea of the eye attack. I love like him wearing an eye patch. It looks cool. But the but the reveal here didn't work for me because when you're wearing an eye patch, you are pretty much actually blind. And so I didn't work for me, but maybe it, it did for others. You would have to talk to someone that's that's had an eye patch on that. They just they adapt to with, with not needing the other eye. Yeah. OK. But the idea is that taking the eye patch off afterwards, what gives you extra? Well, it was the big reveal at the end that the eye is healed and now he is uh, undercut. Jericho's plan of blinding him. All right. Well, he hit the larger paradigm shift and then pinned Jericho at 22 minutes and 18 seconds. And Moxley wins the title, gave a big post-match speech, thanking all the fans, showing his gratitude. Now it's beer o'clock. And there was this pause. They played his music. He said, what the fuck? And he <laughs> I'm had, making this shit as I go along, he, he says. He, they couldn't cut it off now because he had to get in that final line. <laughs> Line them up, and I'll knock them down, but now I need some whiskey. And thank you. We got that line in, and then they played his music, and he left through the crowd. Now I need to knock some whiskey down. Yeah, he went from beer to whiskey in a very quick, uh, the gateway. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, uh, we complain a lot about scripted promos. This was clearly not one of those instances. Uh, But, uh, you know, you take the bad and the good with improvisation, and this felt like a loose one. So We both uh, talked today about... Flipping the title onto John Moxley, seeing it in execution. How did you feel about it? And 
You know, I, I would say, you know, taking it, I said today, like, I do not think Jericho has run his course as champion. I think they, I would have been fine with either outcome here. I would have understood either one, but they went with Moxley um, and now going the direction of a babyface champion. And, you yeah. know, he is a hot character. So I, I could have seen this happening. My ultimate feeling was that I think Moxley is so hot right now coming out of this feud that for him to be unsuccessful coming out of this match, I feel would have derailed his momentum. Meanwhile, Jericho could lose the title, but he's still Chris Jericho. He's still the top heel. And I think you could still very much like position him at the very top of the card, even doing a rematch if you wanted to. Uh, whereas I think Moxley had more to lose. So I, I would have went with this decision on paper. I like it. Um, I'll say in execution, I thought it came across a little bit. It came across as very much as a surprise. I don't think the crowd felt like they they were going to see a, a a title change. Nor do I necessarily feel like the match built to that crescendo where you actually felt like it was a finish. You know, and I don't know how much of that had to do. I, let, let me just say, I thought the match was very good, but again, I think the crowd's reaction was flat, at least compared to what my expectations were, were based on how hot this feud was. I don't know if it was just simply the length of the show getting to to the audience or perhaps the pace and style of this type of Chris Jericho match with Boxley largely selling for so long. I don't know if that's what, not what the crowd wasn't looking for, but they didn't feel I didn't feel that kind of like emotional attachment that we've seen in many great AEW like, you know, pay-per-view matches. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was still a very good match. Yeah, I, I thought uh, I was satisfied with, with the main event. Um, you know, so similar to like. MJF and Cody. I, I didn't think either was match of the show. Um, I, I think it was a clear-cut match of the night tonight was the tag title match. Yes. But um, overall, this pay-per-view, I think it's, you know, it's weird. I, I almost look at it as, like, different standards because I would say of the AEW shows we have watched, I would put this, like, thumbs in the middle. But I would say just comparing to, like... <laughs> but everything beforehand was 10 out of 10. Like, well, that's best. it. And I thought tonight, I, I was pretty happy with, with tonight's show. Like, it was, mm-hmm. I would say outside of the women's match, I wasn't like, I didn't think anything was bad on the show. No. Um, And that tag match was awesome. Like, yeah. that was like a phenomenal, phenomenal match. And just by regular standards, I, I go thumbs up on this show. I go thumbs up too, by regular standards. Yeah. yeah. Like, if Super Showdown was thumbs down, <laughs> I can't say this show is only one category above that. No. I just can't. There is no comparison to be made. Um, the only reason why I feel I, I'm grading this one so hard is because my expectations were, were so high based on how good the TV was. And so when I see, you know, like a Cody MJF or match that, that didn't really live up to, I think, the grand expectations I might have had in my mind of something similar to like a Cody Dustin uh, or like, you know, a, a kind of flat reaction for a main event match, I I come a- across, I come, I come away from it maybe a bit more uh, disappointed than I otherwise would have been if I had no expectations. But this was a well-done show, and I think overall, um, very good series of TV that led up to it. What did you think about the production overall? Good. Uh, you know, a, a lot of elements I really enjoyed. Uh, felt The stage looked great. Uh, the video packages have looked great. The countdown was excellent uh, leading into this. The camera cutaways throughout the night i thought were a little bit much especially in the middle of that hangman page young bucks match there was one they cut away to a fan who was on his phone uh, yeah i don't know if it's i mean often this stuff gets really mistimed and so maybe the fan just suddenly looked down at the phone but he had to have like it had to have been like just they cut too too late but it was an instance of there just simply being too many of them interrupting the flow of a match that you know like i'm not a fan of cutaways 
period. Like they have to feel organic and they in wrestling, be, they feel very forced they a have lot to of the be time. Very well timed. Yeah. Like, you know, from from a director who really kind of can follow the pace of the action and knows when that gap exists. Cause they're they almost like went to a cutaway in that match after every single big move. And these cutaways were terrible. Like they were either too Like dark. they should not be part of like the formula of every match has to have multiples of them. Like it should be very rare. So that bothered me. Uh the music cues uh you know at some were very noticeable. Um I think a flawless production is one where you don't really notice anything at all. And when you do notice, unfortunately, like in this case here, like with even uh Daniels at the beginning of the buy in, he was he didn't even hit his move yet and his music played. That's right. That was just, you know, still a little bit rough around the edges. But beyond that, you know, not I mean, these are kind of small complaints. I go I go seven out of ten on this show. I go like just based on the quality of that like that uh, tag match tag was, match. That was like one of the best matches this year. I go seven and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I think I'd put uh, where would you put that among the uh the recent Omega matches? The tag and the Iron Man. Oh, man. Well, given the circumstance, this was a bigger match because it was a pay per view, you know? So I rank this one above them both. Yeah, I feel I feel I would too. And I and I love that Iron Man match. I, I, I thought that was one of my one of my favorite matches this year, even you know, I know we're only two months in. Mm-hmm. So uh, those were our thoughts on the show. We will be going to the uh, feedback thread as well as opening up the phone line. So if you would like to call in, uh, give us a dial one seven three two eight hundred four four two three, or Skype in by searching for Post Wrestling. A few other. Oops. Oh, look at that! Wow, geez, yeah. sorry, some, very some anxious fast. people uh, ready to call in. Okay. Uh, just quickly. We'll mention uh, Roosh won the ROH title on Saturday night, defeating uh, PCO and Mark Haskins in a triple threat match. Nick Aldis got involved, attacked PCO, and that set up Roosh hitting the uh, the bull's horns and regaining the title. He lost to PCO back in December. So Nick, okay, Nick Aldis attacked PCO. Got yes, it. yeah, got it. So that was uh, what happened there. So we're getting PCO Aldis then. Um, they're doing that at. Uh, well, we're getting we're getting Squirrel first, but. Um, well, no, it's Super Card of Honor. It's uh, I'll, I'll look up the, okay. the card because all this is on that. Okay. Uh, well, let's first go to the forum and, and uh, see how you guys voted for this show. AEW Revolution. Uh, out of 10, the Post Wrestling Forum thought this show was an 8.2. So, Oh, okay. Good rank. Very, very good rank. Let's go to the phone lines to see what you guys thought. Neil, our man Neil, you're on the line. What's up? Hey, guys. Hey. What, busy. What, what time is it there? It is 5.53 a.m. Oh, on Sunday. Uh, well, it, it's it's the weekend, so I wouldn't, you know, I, I did stay up to watch the, uh, the pay-per-view I was always going to. I actually enjoy these Saturday night ones because I'm never really doing much on a Sunday, so I can sort of sleep into the afternoon if I wish. So you watched it on Fight? Watched it on Fight, yeah, mm. which is, you know, a TV app on the smart TV, so, you know, I don't have to watch it on a tablet or laptop or you know i can watch it on on television as though it's uh mm-hmm. cool. it's it's on a channel so that's cool yeah so what are some um, highlights busy... of the show for you um uh, oh definitely the tag uh the tag t- title match um that was the standout for me um and also i guess the um sammy versus darby um sprint it was just mm-hmm. uh, like you said it was a, the actual match was only about five minutes but um Gosh, it was just absolutely packed, but didn't feel like a spot fest in a kind of indie way. It, it was really, really good. Um, I had some of the same um, con- uh, 
criticisms, I suppose, that you've already mentioned. You know, I think the the, the Catalina um, kissing spot was <laughs> very, very ill-conceived. Um, mm-hmm. um, and um, there was a lot wrong with the Cody-MJF match. I thought it really didn't live up to my expectations right from the... The terrible. Uh, well, uh, can I ask? Um, did Damien get um, get out of your escape room, John, or was he never slated to be on the podcast? No, he had to go home, unfortunately. Um, so the invite's always open for Damien, uh, and he. <laughs> let me just like he. I think he was like you know worried that he was going to be too negative on the show. So oh, really, yeah, yeah, and like you know, we, we, we never want to force somebody on on, on air if they didn't want to be. We didn't even think he was going to join us. Actually, it was totally like unexpected that yeah, like the invite was put out there, but we didn't even know he if he would show up. But um, he showed up. <laughs> well, I don't think I think you said on on uh, rewind to SmackDown this yes. morning that you didn't expect him to, get to turn up. I enjoyed his tweets during the show. Telling very obvious lies about the both of you. No, um, no. I mean, Damien was was I think uh, you know thinking he was too critical, but I, I actually ended up agreeing with a lot of his points. So uh, look sure. forward to talking to him again. Do you have a question yeah, for us, Neil? But you, but you didn't actually hit him, way did you? Did you oh, like God. he claimed? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I hit a six thirty on him through a table. So uh, not again. But yes, I do have a I do have a point, which is just um, I mean I know that wrestling shows are are hardly public service announcements for hygiene, but all of this spitting in faces and bleeding over each other seems I don't know it just seems a little bit out of kilter in the current public health environment, don't you think? Uh, yeah, don't, <laughs> spit, don't, don't spit on people. Yeah, uh, I don't. <laughs> are you? I don't really get upset by that uh sure okay i know yeah it's it just it occurred to me you know and i thought this isn't going to occur to very many people but yeah you know um i i did have one question too um if i'll be really quick because yes i'll be quick um with uh it's not fair to compare this show to wrestlemania but the the matches that we're getting uh, Lesnar, McIntyre, you know, Cena and the Fiend, Goldberg, Roman Reigns. Where's going? Where's the work rate match? Where's the really exciting in ring match we're going to get on Mania this mm. year? Um, or are they, you know, in comparison to this show, or or is that just for the Saturday before on Takeover? Um, and thanks for taking my call, guys. Thanks, Thank Neil. you, Neil. Um, the work rate match. Um... We don't know the full card yet. You know, we don't know what Daniel Bryan's plans are. Yeah, a lot of the key people you would you would associate with that, um, but have not been announced yet. But to, in, it's takeover. Not even seeing a card, yeah. it's going to blow away WrestleMania. Like that's that really does service that uh, that audience. That if you're searching for those blowaway matches, it, they're happening on Saturday night, and they're happening at other shows that weekend beyond WrestleMania, which is typically like one of the weaker shows of the weekend, wrestling wise. Unfortunately, I, I don't think WrestleMania has been sold on work rate matches for a long, long time. It's it's sold on name attractions. It's sold on the promise of, of spectacle. Mm-hmm. Um, like Orton and Edge. I think that one has a pretty high expectation level and yeah. a bar that people are going to hopefully get a really dramatic match out of. Yeah, my my hope for a WrestleMania match is is drama, it's storytelling, not necessarily guys pulling off incredibly like you know uh, incredible submissions or, or great high flying. I I want good stories, right? 
Let's go back to the phone lines right now. Thank you for uh, uh, waiting. We only have one line, everybody, so keep calling in if you want to get uh, have your voice heard. Uh, and we'll try to get to as many as you can before we uh, go off air. So, caller, what's up? Hey, guys, it's MJ. How you doing? Hey, what's going on, MJ? Way, you hit all my talking points on the tag match, the Bucks and Hangman and Omega. Um, if you guys recall, like two years ago, we did a – um, a review where we talked about being the elite and mm-hmm. I've not had the chance to really call back and mark out on this group um, the way I probably would like to, but tonight feels like the perfect time. Mm-hmm. That story um, that they told in that match, the call to uh, to Marty, the Golden Lovers, to that original tag that they did a few years ago, the one we everything was so great. Um, I didn't, you guys didn't mention it, the Hangman tease at the end. Um, and I know Braden and Davey mentioned that the tease that Kenny and the Bucks did where it looked like they might turn on Hangman, just right down to like the very last shot where Hangman's holding the ropes through the Bucks shot. Um, so great. Uh, just this group themselves are the stories they tell in the ring, second to none. I don't know who does it better when it comes to big matches like this. I miss that detail probably because we we're so busy like tupping up our notes right after the match, but. Sure, absolutely. This certainly felt like it, it was, I would say, one of that group's greatest hits in ring. Um, they they can often, you know, especially when it, when you're involving the Bucks and Kenny, um, they they t- they can tell great stories both with their athleticism, but also just with um, their ideas. So this was, uh, yeah, it was certainly one of those. It was one of those matches that absolutely rewarded longtime fans of like being the lead in just this group in general. I've always thought that that is the key to their connection with the fan base, that if you watch long enough, and it's not just them, it's all along Dynamite. If you watch enough, if you watch every week, you tune into the special on TNT, which was phenomenal, by the way, mm. they reward you. And there's something nice about being a fan of something that um, they're going to pay it off to you. They're going to tip their cap to you. You don't feel like uh, you know, they're, you're being insulted as a viewer. Um, the other thing I wanted to say about the show, which I thought was awesome, and they continue to do a great job about this, um, you hear it about the the live experience when you go to Dynamite. Those bracelets were great. Like, what a visual. What a different atmosphere that that created. Every crowd shot on the entrances was cool. Um, I would love to see them continue to elevate the live experience, or dare I say reimagine, to steal another word from a uh, a chairman of another company. What, what a funny thing that they're going to do a, a big show in Jersey. Oh, I'll actually be at that show. You're going to Blood and Guts. Yeah. I will see Blood and Guts. And, if you're ringside, uh, maybe Turner you'll come home with a, with, your, uh, with a souvenir. Turner doesn't seem to mind. Uh, take care, guys. Thank Bye. you, MJ. Yeah. Um, that that will probably be, you know, their, a show that will kind of be built to, like, that's going to be a big show for them. Well, we've seen them, you know, execute this formula. Like, they're not doing pay-per-views every single month. So, no. in place of that, they're doing their pay-per-views on their TV show. At the big, like, Atlanta and, and New Jersey. And since the beginning of this year, it's been working. You know, you put a, a subtitle name brand of, of, of your edition of Dynamite, it's going to feel that much more special. Uh, back to the phone lines. Hansi, you're on the air. What's up? Hey, what's going on, guys? How, how's it going, man? Yeah, it's going well. well. What did you think of the show tonight? <laughs> I, I thought the sh- I I really I really dug the show. I think uh, my favorite in ring matches were the 
tag match and the Sammy Guevara and Darby Allen, uh, who I think, yo, he really had a really uh, a breakout performance in my opinion. Um, uh, I was kind of, uh, you know, I, I, I haven't been on the bandwagon of Orange Cassidy. Like, you know what I mean? I just thought this guy was like a, a meme or a GIF worthy wrestler you post on Twitter. But after like seeing an actual match with him, I, I'm, I can, I can say that I'm finally on the bandwagon of Orange Cassidy. Like, it changed my perception. And I thought the t- the two main matches, like Cody and um, MGF and Moxley and Jericho, they had the right result for me. The match itself might have not been the perfect match or whatever and all that, in my personal opinion. But I like the results that were going in, in my in, 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 in my in my opinion. Um, I, I, before I go, let me ask you guys: Who do you guys anticipate being like? moxley's first challenger because like do you put him with somebody who like you know who isn't like established and like you kind of prop them up and not maybe just win but just like up their status like a darby allen or do you go to like you know uh omega or page or or something like that like who would you guys uh uh pick anyway i'll, I'll let you guys uh I'll g- give my thoughts on off the air peace out thank you hansy um you know, way you were throwing out the idea of going back to the Jericho rematch. Do you think you take a break from Jericho? Could you see Jericho disappear for a little bit? Or mm. because I think if he's around, it, it's very hard to get away from Jericho immediately. I'm kind of yeah, yeah. I mean, at the same time though, you can do a rematch with Jericho, but I don't know if the question would really like the result would really be in doubt. Because why would they put the belt just back on the Jericho? You know, without one at least one successful title defense for for Moxley. So I. I I think you could build up to like a Jericho rematch for further down the line, or even if you want like a big TV main event. But for the time being, I think a fresher challenger might be appropriate for for Moxley. And you have to really think who is a high level heel that could oppose him right now, or does it have to be a heel? Doesn't have to be. I mean, you can get creative with where you go. I mean, they've done the uh, they've done like, Omega, they've done Omega. I think like anywhere. your heels coming out of this are MJF, Pac. Yep. Um, there's the Jericho rematch option, or you go somewhere else. Um, they kind of left things a little open ended with Jeff Cobb, but I I think Doesn't the fact feel big beat enough. him, it like you would have to do a lot to build up to that. Not big enough for double or nothing. I mean, right. MJF, I think I could I could potentially see you know especially with a great build. Uh, is Pack hot enough right now for for a title match? Um, a, a headline. I, I don't think it takes a lot to be able to build build that up, but mm-hmm. it it. it it's it's not like pay per view headline main event mm-hmm. right this minute. Yeah, I mean it can't be Cody. I mean he lost anyway. No. So I think I would of all the choices I would say MJF. Yeah, and maybe maybe that's where they go. I mean that's kind of contingent on what's this next um, chapter for Cody uh, yeah. at this point. Now that he's shot out of the title, has lost MJF, that he's you know in this in this kind of purgatory mm-hmm. in that in that title picture. We go back to the phone lines. Caller, what do you think of double or uh, revolution? Revolution is what we're up to. <laughs> oh my goodness! How are you, Brandon? You, you gonna be enjoying? Going some, well, man. Uh, are you gonna be enjoying some blood and guts in Jersey? Nah, I'm not going to that. Show. Are you crazy? Come on. Yeah. That's what I'm, it's midweek too, man. I'll be. I, I gotta work, man. I got kids to feed. Did you watch? Okay. Did you? What did you watch tonight? Did you watch the pay per view or did you watch uh, Fight Night? What were you watching? Uh, I, I, I heard about Ian Kutabella. He, he seemed, uh, he seemed unhappy tonight about his, uh, screw job, uh, finish with, with the fight tonight. But, uh, no, I watched the pay-per-view. And what, what did, what did you, you think? think of, what did you think of, oh, I, I thought the Orange Cassidy was awesome, man. Uh, I'm with you, man. 
fuck downstream, man. They suck so bad. <laughs> I thought they were going to enter the match the way the lead singer was dressed. He was pumped. He, he didn't remember where he was at and stuff like that. Uh, what did you think? What do you make of Cody's tattoo, man? I think. I mean, I mean, it's a little too much on the neck, right? I mean, I know he loves AEW, but I okay. mean that okay. tattoo. Okay, a Cody's tattoo or Jack Gallagher's new tattoos? Oh, wow. you see them, John? <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> It looked, it, Jack Gallagher's tattoo looks, reminds me of those uh, those ships in the in the bottle. Uh, yeah. You know, you know, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm so, talking about? Yeah, certainly. Not not so gentlemanly anymore. He doesn't look like he's done either. Oh, like yeah. It looks like, yeah, he's, he looks like he's he started on the arm, uh, but the other arm is just bare. Well, so. I would say the same for Cody. Like, you don't just get a tattoo on your neck without at least getting something that attaches your whole, like, chest or sleeve or something. I mean, I I never thought I saw something more ridiculous than when when Conor McGregor got the yeah that gorilla. tattoo. But it's like you just you just get used to it. It's I don't have a big thing on on I tattoos. I kind of like just... it now, you know. And I kind of like the sword on Brock Lesnar. Like if if Brock didn't have it, it wouldn't be Brock. And I think we'll feel the same way about Cody eventually. So one of you guys isn't gonna get the post wrestling tattoo on your on your chest. We like just made, guys, we like... just made uh, that joke and we had this exact conversation. Um, Thanks for listening. Twenty minutes. Oh, I missed it. Yeah. My bad, my bad, man. I missed it. Sorry about that. Okay. Uh, not, uh yeah. So, uh, what do you do to uh, Orange Cassidy? Uh, I mean, he was awesome. That dude's. Uh, well, you talked about that, didn't you? Yeah, we did actually. We, we've covered oh, all. Talked no, about, gotta... We talked about the pay per view. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you for your call. As always. Thank you, man. Right. Thank you. Thank you, man. Brandon from New Jersey. There's only one. <laughs> Great appearance. Um. I, I will say, like, I, I think you, you get a great six-man out of this on TV. But, man, Pentagon and Phoenix, I, I think they underutilized. they are miscast and they are underutilized. Yeah, and I'm, sure. I'm kind of, like, if we're looking at a, like, six months on TV at this point of, like, that to me, they've missed on those two. You think, when you say miscast, you, you mean as heels? As heels. Yeah, yes, I agree. definitely. And, you know, Ray Phoenix, he had that phenomenal match. Like, they've had some great matches together. Mm-hmm. The tag match recently, the singles match that Phoenix and Nick Jackson had. Um, they just, you think of AEW, I don't think you're thinking of them. And, like, they're, in particular, Phoenix. Phoenix is one, one of the best in the world. And it mm-hmm. just seems like they have been hurt the most by just the volume of guys that they're trying to get over. And it's just, it's not their time. And I would say even, you know, a feud with the best friends, it's like, okay, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But they, to me, it's kind of, they rushed the Bucks feud and they did all those matches and kind of peaked at double or nothing with the big ladder match that afterwards, once you got to TV, you had kind of done the big feud already. Well, you would, I mean, coming out of this, you you would assume perhaps like Page and Omega to be perfect uh, opponents for them. They just lost though. But they just lost, yeah. So I'm not sure, you know. I and I I do feel like the the main problem is the fact that you only have so many slots. This is only their second pay per view after TV, right? Yeah. Um, so you only have so many storylines you can give out. Hopefully, this cycle will be different. Yeah, and I, I'm sure it would be. Like they're, I'm sure they are. You know, a, a priority. It's just where we are right now. Um, and figuring out a way to present them. Yeah, that too. Like yeah. I just think it's a. It's very hard to be in kind of a a heel act, but mm-hmm. I, I do look forward to them doing this, you know, six man or whatever combinations we have coming out of this. Back to the phone lines, caller. Thank you for waiting. What's on your mind? Hey, gonna keep it in New Jersey. It's Paul here. Hey, Paul. What's up? Hey guys. Uh, 
thought the show was enjoyable for the most part. Uh, I thought the BD watch along was really great, but I'm sorry, Brady. That downstate performance was a bag of shite. <laughs> Those guys cannot sing at all. But uh, <laughs> so John, hey, that's one point for John. But um, anyway, man, uh, big big uh, fan of Sammy Guevara. I didn't know much about that guy before All Elite. I think he's great. Him and Darby Allen. Uh, love Orange Cassidy. Had a pleasure seeing him last year WrestleMania weekend. And I'll just ask a quick question to let you guys go. Um, I think it's a safe assumption to say we will probably eventually get a uh, mid-card title. Um, do you think we see that soon, or is that something down the line? You know what? Let, let me ask you this, Paul. Do you think like tonight's show was missing that? Um, you know, I, I would have to say no. I don't I think guess, so either. I just, like, I, I think that yeah. we had three title matches on this show. It felt fine. You had a super grudge match in Cody and MJF that meant way more than a title would. Um, I'm like, the only argument for it right now is that you have the person in Cody to really build this thing around as kind of right next to a main event title because you have a main event guy that's shut out of the main title the, but the illegitimate champion holding your secondary belt right and it, it leads to you know you could do something down the road with that with the two titles or or whatever but uh, like i'm watching these shows i'm not saying that myself man i wish we had another title yeah i agree yeah that is true i just wonder maybe guys like sean spears but again i guess wwe has that problem because they have too many titles and you uh, make a good point. It wasn't like it was lacking. I'm just curious if maybe if down the line we see like a television title of some sort. But uh, yeah, anyway, that's my call, guys. Have a great night. Thanks. Thank you, Paul. You too, Paul. You know, like I wouldn't be totally against the idea of like a TV title, something that that is only de- defended on television, you know, or uh, maybe dark is too small for a title. But, you know, something that we would we might see regularly on TV. Um, I love what like NWA is doing with their TV title, where if you defend the belt, Seven times? Lucky seven. Lucky seven. If you defend the belt seven times or if you go to a draw seven times and your opponent fails to defeat you, you earn a title match. Yep. I love that idea. Um, I mean, not to say, you know, I want AEW to just completely copy that, but to give a different concept and a different idea for a belt to make it different from your championship enough than just, you know... It's another IC belt or another US yeah. belt, and they're playing with the same. Like they, they've got an hour every week, and they've and they're balancing four titles when you throw in the national title right. with the tag titles, world title, and I think they've they've done a pretty good job of trying to differentiate it. Like Aaron Stevens is like the the comedy guy. You've got the TV title. Ricky Starks is your young prospect that's um, now got a championship, and then you have your tag title, and then Nick Aldis, who is the central figure of that. Mm-hmm. So, um, but even so, like that to me would kind of be my limit but yeah um you know they, they've opened they, they mentioned it once like cody brought up the idea of another championship but we haven't really heard much from that um i don't know if the timing is right now to do that but mm-hmm. um cody would be my biggest argument for it because I, I don't have a whole lot beyond cody to argue for another title it, it is i would say like too many titles is a problem that's plaguing a lot of companies right now i mean look at new japan right new and japan's out of control look at how much it's helped all the other belts by taking the IC title out of play. You know, having Naito hold, hold both, both belts has elevated the Never Championship. Like, it makes the like Shingo Takagi is, is headlining now. And part of that's because of who he is. But also, like, this, this Never title has certainly been upgraded far beyond where it was uh, prior. We're seeing that with the uh, tag team belts. Even the Rev Pro title feels like it's a bigger deal. Right? Yeah. So. And I look at, in WWE, like, the IC and US titles, to me, they... They mean nothing. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. 
Well, uh, phone lines are still open if you guys wanted to get on, but we go to the post-wrestling forum right now for, to get some of your thoughts uh, who, from people who have written in. First, we start off with Laura from Vancouver, who says, I was feeling under the weather, so I decided to stay in and check out the show. I've never been happier to be sick. <laughs> that tag match was the best in-ring storytelling I've ever seen. Those guys hit Okada Ibushi at Wrestle Kingdom level of quality. Just an astonishing match. There's so many possible ways for this to go, too, and they tease them all. Sammy Darby was a crash course, sugar rush, and I loved every second. Orange Cassidy versus Pac was like Batman versus Joker. Never in wrestling has two guys been such perfect foils for each other. I hope we get a rematch soon. Jericho has become sort of a bruiser Brody. That match felt like a fight, and in contrast to everything that came before it, really stood out and excelled. Phenomenal post-match babyface promo for Mox. What didn't feel like a fight was Cody MJF. It lacked intensity and never felt like a grudge match at all. I was worried it might underperform, and sadly I was right. Not to mention the god-awful live performance from downstate and that ridiculous neck tattoo that instantly cowers, uh, that instantly lowers Cody's it factor. <laughs> downstate being a so. A what did you think people. about like the entrance? Because like on the one hand, I, I can certainly see like there is there would be the argument that especially in Cody's role, like it's very indulgent. But to counter that, like he felt like the biggest star in the world coming out, and I think that that is. Big entrances are Cody's thing. Yeah, like from, from and the I think show. they've been they've you've grown to expect that a big entrance just to me doesn't make a, a person heal or babyface. It makes them it makes the match feel big. That's that's all it was to me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, I I wouldn't say like this didn't have the element like to me the grudge match. It was like you got blood. You had the guy. You know, but was the was the blood on the right guy? And like was the blood. Did it feel earned? Did it even add to the I match? would certainly argue that, like, MJF, like, I would, I bring up the entrance because it's like you've got this army behind Cody to take on MJF. Yeah. It's like the guy, and yes, you can break it down, like, MJF is the prick heel, but it's just, you're watching this, and it's like, there's a part of you that's rooting for MJF. It's like, he's he's busted up. You've got, the Brandy spot I did not like. It's like, totally unprovoked. Wardlow's just standing there. He hasn't done anything in the match. And gets a beer thrown in his face. I, I agree that the optics, like, I don't think work towards Cody's favor. Like, having two people on a side, granted, yes, it is Brandy, and granted, it's Arn Anderson against Wardlow, I understand. But I don't think you need Brandy there. I really I, don't. I, I like Arn in his corner. I like Brandy in his corner, but not both. Yes. I think it's it's one or the other, and I think Brandy, this is kind of her... It's like, okay, this I'm done with the Nightmare Collective. It I ended, and this do. is her role for now until we figure something out. Yeah. And it's just, to me... Like, it almost just feels like MJF is battling the numbers here, even with Wardlow there. Mm-hmm. And I think there there was some of that um, there as At well. At the very least, I think maybe MJ- Wardlow didn't initiate the first attack, you know, like in the... Uh, no, it was, o- it was only after he got um, the beer and everything that he uh, attacked Cody's arm. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, I mean, anyone that's ever had a beer thrown in you, I mean, I think you'd sympathize with Wardlow wanting to break this guy's arm. Davian's just like nodding. Yeah, I told you guys. <laughs> um, wanna... Let, yeah, let's continue here with Alex. Didn't love it, although I might be in the minority. I had high expectations, and I feel the, that only the tag tunnel match lived up to them. MJF and Cody match was odd, with Cody trying to pin him early and not hurt him. The women's match was unwatchable and sloppy. I thought someone might die at the end off the rope. The main event was heated, but just didn't feel like it clicked, and I felt Jericho was hotter than Moxley and should have kept the title. High Hopes was a decent show, but fell short for me. Perhaps too high of a hype. 7 out of 10. 
We've got a Chris from Melbourne who says, I feel like Cody's real life taste is going to turn him heel sooner than any of his actual character work. If his take my car, take my red bottoms, take this briefcase of cash promo wasn't far enough, tonight was a whole new level. Coming out with a huge entourage, personal coach, and Brandy playing cheerleader, Cody looked like the ultimate high school jock D-bag. I really want to hate his character as much as I hate his awful new neck tat. I love this show. First couple of AEW pay-per-views felt like there were too many chefs in the kitchen and no cohesive flow to the show. Everything is ironed out now, and Revolution was well worth the buy from start to finish. Okay, Sean from Toronto. Other than the women's title match being the victim of bad placement, this was probably the best pay-per-view so far from AEW. The tag title belt was easily match of the night, and I liked how the Hangman Elite story is being given the slow burn. Orange Cassidy pack was incredibly entertaining and a surprise highlight for me. While there are definite, definitely some who feel it is too early for Jericho to lose the title, you do have to admit that he has already run through all the babyface challengers other than Kenny Omega, who is busy with his storyline with Hangman. Having the belt on Moxley does allow people like Pack and MJF step up to step up for title matches, not to mention the inevitable Jericho rematch. Um, yeah. Thank you very much for that. Adam from Wellington, New Zealand says, really enjoyable, well-paced show. Tag match was fantastic, and the rest of the card was above average. Well, everything except for Cody MJF. While it didn't offend me by any means, small things like the obnoxious, over-the-top entrance to Cody going for pinfalls a few minutes in, and even Brandy baiting Wardlow, left me more than confused than anything, considering their blood feud. Uh, The, The early pins, like, that's a totally valid critique. Also, given the recent signings and rumors, I thought... I bought into there being a surprise run-in or reveal that never happened, and I was waiting for it after every match. But but that one's totally on me. Question. You probably discussed this, but who do you guys want to see in the AEW War Games match? And is this where you end the Moxley-Jericho feud to start something fresh with the title? Well, I think you've got to have, whether it's 4-on-4 or 5-on-5, like some kind of team. So I would be either... I mean, the storyline right now is more so on the the four members of the elite with Omega, Page, and the Bucks who have to reluctantly come together Mm -hmm. and get on the same page. Or you could include Cody there. And that's just if you want to tie in that story to the war games as well. But I I think that's probably where you go. And then the other four could be, I mean, whoever. circle. Um, it could be the inner circle. Like, that's the easy one to go to. Uh, If Cody's in there, then I almost feel like MJF has to be. I think it, it, like doing an elite versus inner circle um, might be kind of like a waste of those spots. You know, when if you pick plug certain people in, like a, say a Darby Allen to one of those spots, they stand to gain a lot more than you know maybe like a Nick Jackson or Matt Jackson might. Yeah, I, I would just say for I, I just I really like the elite in there. It's just like that they make the most sense, especially for the, this first one. And given that it is kind of like it's going to be war games, but just not in name that you would assume Cody's going to kind of be in, in there somehow. Do you think it's a mistake to not save the first war games for a pay-per-view? Um, yeah, I I don't mind them doing it on TV for like one big, big show as opposed to the, the pay-per-view. Um, yeah, and we'll, we'll see what what they have planned and like what comes out of it. Like, I hope it's a bunch of different kind of like a a Royal rumble where you have all these different stories coming out of it as Mm -hmm. well. Like we'll have some feuds going in, but also some things that come out of it. So it does feel like a significant show. That's kind of one rung below a pay-per-view. 
Noah from Vaughn writes, uh, I was at the show live and had an absolute blast. The tag match was incredible, and Orange Cassidy versus Pac was amazing to be in attendance for. The atmosphere all night was fantastic, and I'm so glad I made the trip from Toronto. 10 out of 10 live event experience. I'm glad Moxley won the belt. Sometimes you just have to go with the hot baby face and get the win. By the way, before the pre-show, they had a women's tag match for Dark, Yuka and Riho versus Penelope Ford and Britt Baker. Okay, so we'll see that this week. Raphael from North Liberty says, Revolution was well worth the $50. The highlights were the tag title match, Orange, Orange Cassidy versus Pack, and the Mox win. I love pro wrestling, and shows like this only help to remove the cynicism that years of WWE booking can put on a fan. It's interesting to note, like, there's nobody bringing up, like, the price tag being any kind of hindrance, or... If you have a good time, I yeah. think people can, like, feel good about spending $50. And I think largely from what we're hearing from is people, you know, felt it was... It was definitely worth it for the show mm-hmm. doug from derbyshire in the uk apologies for this feedback it's a bit lengthy high point of the show was the bucks versus omegan page it was a very tough match for nyla rose and chris statlander to follow you could hear the crowd heat ebbing away and i don't think it was ever regained fully the nods to both kota Ibushi and marty Skrull during the tag bout only added to the storytelling and history of the match and i feel it was the standout of the night for that reason alone regardless of the excellent in-ring action Darby and Sammy tore it up with a great encounter. That botched suicide dive by Allen was brutal, but not so much as the skateboard throw to the head he took immediately after. That said, the two of them went on to have an exciting and satisfying match. Cody MJF was exactly what the match needed to be with just the right level of shenanigans and heel work. And goes on to add that his biggest issues were A, the production issues AEW has dealt with since the launch are gradually but surely being worked out work through regardless of jr slips the commentary team has solidified into a three-man booth long-term storytelling is alive and well and d jericho's entrance can only be bested by itself it was a very good entrance jericho called it the best entrance of his entire career okay what are some of the other ones that he's i mean he's never had like a live performance or anything like that so i mean last you know in terms of like a big entrance like he he had the thing at double or nothing i believe with like the oh the the, the different phases. iterations of jericho it, wasn't that, it, was okay. it was like you could tell there was thought there for it but it was kind of almost like has he ever had a big mania entrance just with pyro yeah. but nothing nothing with like any any props or stuff like that i would argue his first entrance was was pretty damn great where like the countdown the rock oh on raw yeah, yeah absolutely that was yeah. probably that was that would probably be it i mean the first when he came out for the omega match like that was like it, just just the vibe yeah, in, yeah. in the building and sure. he's also coming out to his own music all right we go to zeriki who says brandon brandon says overall i'd say this was just a really fun show tech title match was incredible Alan Gravara was entertaining, and the Pat Cassidy fight was an actual funny comedy match, but then got pretty serious. And honestly, if someone takes out Jericho and becomes the new inner circle leader, and Jericho kind of went away for a while, he did an amazing job getting AEW running. He would also get an amazing babyface reaction when he returned. Don't really see that. Can you see that happening? Chris Jericho being ousted as the inner circle leader and perhaps returning as a babyface? No, no. Way too soon. Like, there is a time you could use Jericho as a babyface. I don't see that any time near. Like, Jericho, just taking the title off him. I mean, he has been... You cannot um, underemphasize how important this guy has been to the success of this company. Like, to me, he is is number one. Mm -hmm. He is number one of anyone that they have signed for the success they've had on television, for what he's doing with the younger talent. Um, Just making this title important, I think that... 
like his value. I, I think honestly, when you look back at the career of Chris Jericho, it's going to be 2018, 19, and 20 that are going to be his most important years of his career, which mm. is really staggering when you consider this guy's been did this beginning in 1990. What do you see next for him? That's a great question. Like I, I know he does have Fozzie dates coming up, but it's um, it looks you can see the schedule. I don't know how much it's going to conflict with, with AEW. It seems like it's a lot of like weekend stuff and. Um, so I, I don't know at some point, I imagine he's going to take a break at some point. Like that's just always been his schedule. I'm surprised he has gone this consistently with mm-hmm. AEW since they've launched. So at some point I imagine a break, but he, I, if I was AEW, I would, I would be, you, you've built a very solid foundation. I think with your audience now that I would be less, um, concerned about Jericho going away for a month or two, but to me, he's he's still like the main player on the show, and that's that's why I kind of lean towards if you can keep him, I'd I'd be leaning towards Moxley and Jericho again yes. potentially for double for May no, double or nothing for double or nothing. Mm-hmm. Like I think of all the options right now, that is the biggest one. But maybe it is time to get someone fresh in there and get Jericho into something else that could be very interesting. I'm just trying to think who else there might be right now that would be a good fit for Jericho. I mean, he's worked with a lot of interesting ones already, like from uh, Jungle Boy and Scorpio Sky and Darby Allen. It's mm-hmm. like he's he's certainly worked with like a wide variety uh, of people so far. Cody, he did he did the match with as well. I mean, um, Kenny, yeah, yeah. It could be, yeah. I don't I don't know. I don't have a clear idea. Hmm. I guess you know we'll we'll see if it's if it's not the Moxley rematch. That would be my my guess off the top. Uh. Your turn. Mine is uh, Raymond from Sacramento, who is at Revolution. I'm going to keep this short. I have been to Double or Nothing, All Out, the first Dynamite in Washington, Full Gear, and now Revolution. Outside of Moxley's first appearance at Double or Nothing, I have not experienced a crowd pop that big for someone like they did when Orange Cassidy debuted as a full-blown wrestler in his performance tonight. One of the highlights of the show. I'm telling you, he's the Brock Lesnar of AEW. Like, it sounded like... Among the like, it sounded like the loudest reaction of the show mm-hmm. was for Orange Cassidy's fire ups. Uh, people may not have understood that the gimmick before, but this was his wrestling coming out party to the masses. Guy can work, and the crowd was in love with him. I adore the guy. Nine out of ten show. Well, he's another one. I mean, how how do how often do you use him? How I wouldn't do you, overdo it. How do you build this momentum, though? You know, yeah, I would save his his actual singles appearances. As much as you can. I was really glad that they saved this for a pay-per-view. Me too. And didn't just feel like one week, this can be something we throw out on TV. Because um, yeah. I, I don't think... I, I was really glad that they put this on pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. And this was like, if you tuned in for the first time and you were fresh to AEW, there's no way you're turning out of the show and not leaving with an impression made by Orange Cassidy. Mm-hmm. Like, I think if you were to ask, what were the three things you remember on this show? Orange Cassidy is in everyone's top three list. Yeah. All right, we got Eric from Savage who says, I thought the show as a whole was very good. The tag title match was one of the five best tag matches I've ever seen. The Pack versus Orange Cassidy match over-delivered on my already high expectations, and the Sammy versus Darby match was a fun sprint. To top it off, Cody versus MJF was truly excellent storytelling. Thumbs up show for sure. Eight out of ten mocks eye patches. And the last one here, Miles from Chicago. Went to the show tonight. Great time overall. The fans are really there to have a great time and get behind all of the performers. And AEW really seem to be ready to deliver every time. Matches of the night from a live perspective were the tag title match and the main event. I'm going to miss Le Champion, but excited to see where they go next with Jericho. Nine out of ten show. Looking forward to watching a replay and hearing our recap. Well, we hope you, you enjoyed our recap. And that's going to uh, wrap up our feedback. 
and the show. So thank you to everybody for tuning in for this live edition of the AEW Revolution Post Show and all the calls. Yeah, very quickly. Uh, in a few hours, we'll be releasing an edition of uh, Thunderstruck with WH Park on the main feed, so you should be able to uh, hear that. He'll yeah, the guest is uh, Mike Spears from the Voices of Wrestling Network, uh, and they're going to be chatting Jushin Thunder Liger and Shima from April 9th of 2000. Big thank you to all of the Double Double Plus patrons that are in the chat room right now listening to this, watching us live on our live stream on YouTube. Uh, pay- live pay-per-views are available to all Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso patrons at Post Wrestling. Uh, cafe.com so i want to give some shout outs hello to bruhavin again hello adam hello eric marcote hello kenneth trainer hello raymond terry thank you guys for joining us this late and eric what's up how's it going thank you for joining us um rewind away next week on saturday or tuesday yes tuesday wg yes tuesday we're back with rewind away pwg 11 from july of 2014 kevin steen's farewell Wow. He's off to the orphanage in Mexico to help his friend El Generico. And this is his farewell to pro wrestling. This, like, card is crazy when you think that, think about the fact that it's only been five years. Okay. See, let's see who's on this card and see where they are right now. Tommaso Ciampa, Rocky Romero. Uh, we have ACH, Cedric Alexander, the best friends, Chuck and Trent. Johnny Gargano, Michael Elgin, Trevor Lee, Kevin Steen, Frankie Gazarian, Brian Kendrick, Roderick Strong, Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, Chris Hero, Candice LeRae, uh, the Young Bucks, um, Joey Ryan. <laughs> but like people who essentially run Wednesday nights. So we'll be talking about this show from six years ago. And on commentary, we have Excalibur with such uh, partners throughout the night as Roderick Strong, Chris Hero, and for the last half of the show, Kevin Steen. Excellent. excellent. So all of that uh, will be reviewed on Tuesday night. Also, for um, next week, uh, we'll be doing this exact same thing on Sunday night right after the Elimination Chamber show. So it's the beginning of the month. Um, great time to sign up for the Post Wrestling Cafe to get your, your most value out of the cafe. $6 a month gets you access to all of our bonus shows. And then Double Double, Ice Cap, and Espresso patrons can tune in live right after Elimination Chamber for this post show. And also, Post Wrestling Live in Tampa. Correct. On Sunday, April the 5th, we're at the Art Institute of Tampa. Noon Eastern Time, we're going to be doing a Q&A, meet and greet right afterwards, and VIP tickets also get you a special lunch with us ahead of the Q&A, a commemorative Post Wrestling Live in Tampa shirt, and a parking spot. A parking spot. A Beautiful. parking spot. An official Post Wrestling parking spot. $5 off for all patrons. As John said, it is March 1st, so it is the perfect time to jump on board. Postwrestling.com or postwrestlingcafe.com. I'll get that right eventually. Gets you access to all of the uh, content. Uh, that we've ever produced ever. on the Post Wrestling Cafe. We, so. I, I've been told that we've surpassed a thousand podcasts, like either this episode or the episode prior. So a thousand podcasts, John, since December of 2017. Damn, <laughs> that's well, a lot of shows. It's a lot of talking. <laughs> well, Wayne and I will uh, bid everyone farewell. We will be back on Monday night following Raw and whatever happens uh, on that show. So thank you to everybody for tuning in live or checking out the podcast. Postwrestling.com is where you can go check out everything, and we'll speak with you later on this week.